This week's episode is brought to you by Alliance Aviation. Everyone says these Formula One cars have jet engines under the hood. If you want to experience a luxury jet engine for yourself, go to flyalliance.us. This week, we have a very special double stack episode. Returning to the grid after a battle with the stomach bug, Sam makes his debut back for the 420 episode. Listen in as we do our Australia recap. We have a special interview with Williams race engineer Ernie Desiderio, and we predict what happens at Imola this weekend. This is an episode you will not want to miss. Sam, we are back. Australia, it feels like a lifetime ago. Couldn't record last week. Um, you were knocking on death's door. It was a tough week for the podcast. We kind of take a week off. Sorry to our listeners, but you know, health and safety comes above everything else. But you know, we're back. We are back in the points team. We are we are ready to rock. We got our microphones. You're back from Tortola. You're back from Death's Door. Here we are. Um, I mean, we still have to talk Australia. First off, actually, though, how are you feeling? Yeah, thanks, Matt. Um, I feel a lot better. Thank you all to all of our uh, listeners who reached out, giving me well wishes. Tough bout with the stomach bug, but I'm a grinder and um, I'm happy to be back. So yeah, Australia was, it was an interesting race. You know, my biggest takeaway was Max clearly has, has some issues going forward. They need to figure out those reliability issues, but Ferrari is clearly... Head, head and shoulders above the rest right now. And um, it's it's their championship to lose constructor-wise. And it's it's now Charles's um, you know, driver's championship to lose as well. He's got commanding lead and um it was a huge weekend for him in the uh and really just him, but the Ferrari car was was just fantastic. That was my biggest takeaway. Yeah, unbelievable. Um Red Bull clearly didn't even have the pace, another reliability issue for Max. You, know, you hate to see it this early in the season, two DNFs from the defending world champion. But I, I think it's a team, you know, Horner had said he'd rather fix a fast car than take a reliable car and, or a slow car um, and make it fast, right? So something to be said about that. They clearly have some pace. I mean, they they weren't even going to, it was looking like an easy P2 finish for them. But yeah, Ferrari is just in a league of its own right now. Charles is at, peak performance. He's doing phenomenally. He's handling the car great. He's handling the pressure really well. Grand slam for him this past weekend. He led every lap. He was pole, fastest lap, race winner. I think the last person to do that went on to win the driver's championship. Grand slam. crazy to think that it's been so many years since we've seen a grand slam holder. I mean, I, I was shocked that that was like one of the first ones we've seen in a few years. But back to Australia, he seemed to handle the new track layout phenomenally seemed like a lot of teams were struggling a little bit with the tires on um, the the new track resurfaced first time in 30 years record attendance you know we're recording this podcast on april 20th 420 um, record attendance 420,000 fans seems to be a little bit of a pattern in the f1 world but record turnout in australia and i think that's like a huge headline uh, outside of obviously red bull's reliability issues but 
just the sport being back in Australia. Everyone's super excited. Great turnout. Interesting, though, we call you Sam D.R. Russell. And right before the race, we were expected to have four DRS zones, one removed. Yeah, I didn't understand that. I mean, I, I love the four DRS zones. I thought it was a cool twist. I love DRS. DRS kicks ass. It sounded like there was maybe one or two drivers that were complaining, saying it wasn't going to make the track safe. I think it might have been Alonso. I don't know. The, the FIA, they're, they're so fickle. Um, I thought it was ridiculous to drop that fourth DRS zone a day or two before the race. Um, I, I just, uh, I thought it was silly. Um, so I'm hoping we get a chance to see a, a four DRS zone track at some point this year. But yeah, I was, I was definitely bummed to see that get dropped um, last minute. It was something I was definitely looking forward to. Yeah, it was, it was honestly bizarre because I think it was just Alonzo saying it was unsafe, but they had just come off of the street circuit of Jetta with a triple DRS, super fast, very dangerous, We've even talked about they they widened turn 27. And here, right after FP1, one team complaining, and then they removed the DRS zones. It's just, it's just more of the FIA. You, you scratch your head at something like that. And, you know, but speaking of Alonzo, let's kind of go back to Quali because there was a lot that happened in Quali. First off, another Latifi shunt, just collision with Stroll, watching it in real time. Ooh. It looked like Latifi had made a bonehead move, but actually re-watching it, what the heck is Stroll doing? That's like the second time he hasn't looked in his mirrors. It happened with Albon and Jetta. I thought Albon got un unfairly penalized for that. Stroll is like a liability in every manner, but another yeah. Latifi crash. Yeah, we, we have liked to give Latifi a hard time this year and would have loved to continue with that shtick, but clearly Stroll's fault. He's... Yeah. He's quickly becoming the, the least likable driver uh, out there. He's just, his reaction to it was just gross. Just like no awareness on the track and then no self-awareness to realize that he was the one who totally messed up. He's just, ridiculous. yeah, he's just like a little spoiled brat thinking that the whole track's his. It was clearly his fault. Just an embarrassing look for him driving wise. And then the reaction was just. I don't know. I don't think he's he's all that liked in general, but that definitely wasn't going to do him, you know, any help because he, he looked like a total clown in the situation. Yeah, I mean, two pay drivers getting into it. It's just, you know, it's not a very good look for the sport and it's clearly something to do with, you know, we saw it last year a little bit with Mazepin. Here we got the two pay drivers. It's just it seems to be an ongoing theme of the guys who are um constantly involved in incidents and crashes, but you know, Another one, Aston Martin, loser of the weekend, Vettel. Man, what a tough race, quality, everything. He was just in a different category than most people. Granted, he came back after missing two weeks from COVID, but geez, this Aston Martin, it's turning into this year's, last year's Haas. Yeah. What, what more can you say about this Aston Martin car? It's just, it's a pig of a car. Pig of a car. Um, it's disgusting. It's gross. I feel bad for Vettel. Obviously, he's, He's not going to have a great attitude for very much longer if this continues. They are just nowhere near being competitive. And it makes you wonder how much more leeway they've got before the bitter Lawrence Stroll gets pissed off and you know pulls his money in the sun and, and goes somewhere else. They're like you said, you said it well, they're this year's Haas, it looks like. It's they're they're now the last team without a point. So I think that that's something to continue watching. You know, how long is it going to take until they can get on the board. It might be a long time. I doubt we see it this week. Uh, actually, I can almost guarantee we don't see it this week. 
But yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see Vettel how much longer he can put up with this crap, and then how much longer Lauren Stroll puts up with it. Because two big personalities both probably want to win really badly at this point in their career in F one. So it's just a disaster there. Horrible. Yeah, really tough start for them. Um, you know, rounding out Q one. I mean, your boy K Mag couldn't get into Q two. Uh, my guy, Albon, you know, he ended up getting DQ'd, fuel sample, and then Schumacher rounding it out in P15. So, you know, I know that that was uh, an area, we'll get to that later on of what we got right and wrong, but man, tough weekend to be Haas, tough weekend to be Aston Martin, kind of a split to be Williams, to be honest, but the, the story of the day, Alonzo, Alpine has a fast car. Alonzo was on an absolute flyer going into that final turn, hit the wall, he was looking to set the fastest lap and it was going to be like heads and shoulders above. Like I think even Charles Leclerc, like it was on pace to be something really spectacular. I had flashbacks to Jetta last year when Max was on his flyer. Um, the hard luck, man, for honestly, he was looking so sharp all weekend for him to finish. I think he was outside the points. I think he was like P16 at the end of the race. It was tough. Man, this Alpine, we got to see. I, I expect something big this season from Alpine. We haven't seen the last of them. Um, tough luck for Alonso in the last two races because he looked really sharp in Jeddah with reliability issues. He looked really sharp in Australia, tough with the safety cars and their strategy. But Alpine, man, we've been saying it all year, and it's just another indicator that they're they're out to play. Yeah, I'm having a blast watching this Alpine car this year. I mean, they're they're awesome. They're like you said, super fast. That Alonso lap was almost legendary. So it was a bomber seeing that happen. And, and you have to say he was the loser of the weekend with how he was performing in practice and, and the first part of qualifying for him to finish outside the points was a bummer. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. It's It was the first day race of the year. In, and we saw cars like Haas, who really weren't competitive in Australia, and they looked great in the two night races. Um, I wonder if that's going to be kind of a, a theme moving forward or some of these cars the McLarens, the, you know, the Alpines, they're better off in these day races. And then the, you know, the Haases, the Alfa Romeos may be more built towards night races. So that's, that's something I'm going to be looking at towards this week. I thought that was an interesting transition from the night to day and seeing how these cars performed. But yeah, the Alpine was, was awesome. They're, they're definitely becoming one of my favorite teams to watch this year. They're just, I love both, both drivers, the way they drive and they're, they're fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, even Ocon, he finished P7, took six points home, like great result from Alpine there. Another person in quality, I mean, like we're, we're spending a lot of time on quality because there was just so much activity, like Carlos Sainz, you've been so high on him all year. He looked good in Bahrain. He looked pretty good in Jeddah. And then hard luck for him. I mean, he got his lap eliminated, his lap deleted from the red flag at the just awful time. Like nothing he could do about that. And then something happened with like, they didn't get him out in time. He couldn't, he's struggling to get the tires warmed up. I think he ended up finishing or he qualified about P9, which is tough for like, what a huge spread from P1 with Charles and P9 from Carlos. Not great for his confidence, but you know, also Mercedes McLaren, huge bounce back for them in quality. I mean, those guys, they, I don't think any of them brought any upgrades either. And they still, they qualified. We had P4 for, for Lando, P5 for Hamilton, P6 for Russell and P7 for Ricardo. So McLaren and Mercedes outside the top three with Red Bull and, and Ferrari covering off the top three slots. You got McLaren and Mercedes right back in the mix. I mean, this season is back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And they didn't even bring any upgrades. Yeah. 
both the McLaren and the Mercedes, they they look like they're entering the conversation again, which is great news. That makes it more exciting. Mercedes more so than McLaren, McLaren in my opinion. But yeah, you, what you mentioned with signs that it was a tough weekend because there really were specifically in the quality that it was no fault of his own. He just kind of got screwed and then he put himself up, up against the wall, had to be perfect and and wasn't in that last lap. So it was just he put himself behind the eight ball right away. And that was just it was sort of the end of his weekend before the end of his weekend. But what happened with him in qualifying? Yeah, I mean, and honestly, moving on to the race, like speaking of signs, we'll start there. It's funny because he almost couldn't come out. He was really slow off the line. I guess what happened, he had a brand new steering wheel that they had to put into his car and he couldn't find the right way to drop the clutch. So even in his practice start, he he dropped the clutch. He was slow to get off the line. And unfortunately, in the formation lap leading up to the grid, your team cannot speak to you. It's part of the rules. So he was just kind of a sitting duck, sitting P9. First off, horrible for Ferrari to be in there. It was almost looking like Red Bull was in a really good position to, to kind of like take some great points from Ferrari. Signs couldn't get off the line, dropped the P14. He eventually was off-roading, called it the most expensive lawnmower. Just a weekend to forget for Carlos. Looking after lap one, lap two actually, to be an awesome race for Red Bull to come, to come back into the constructors after their, their double DNF in, in Bahrain. But Hamilton, huge jump off the line, covering off Checo. And Mercedes was up into P3 at the start of the race. I mean, we had called it last week and Mercedes didn't bring any upgrades. And yet they're showing that they could... Hamilton looked like Hamilton of last year. He was... Great off the line, covered off Checo. Just that car did not have the pace clearly because Checo, I think he beat him in a drag race without DRS. But Mercedes, what do you have to say about them? They were super impressive to me. They might have impressed me outside of the Ferrari car, Charles's car. They might have impressed me more than any other um, you know team out there last week. I thought, like you said, they're. Their starts were fantastic. Hamilton was just masterclass at at the start. And then, yeah, obviously the straight line and speed of Red Bull was just far and away better than them. And and when Checo finally got the chance to pass him, he, he did so with ease. But that gap, you know, after that, you know, first six seconds afterwards, it it really wasn't extended all that much the rest of the race. Mercedes yeah. long range speed could have been because of the tires, but they were able to, to, you know, not get blown away the rest of the race. So they're they're clearly closing the gap. And that's great to see. I think I think they're week by week they've progressively gotten a little better. And even though they're not bringing any major packages this week, I think they're clearly on their way to closing that gap, which is awesome to see. And then back to signs, you know, if our viewers or listeners don't watch the Jolyn Palmer reviews, he did a great one on signs and his issues that he had with the steering wheel and dropping the clutch. Go watch it; it's awesome, very insightful. But that was fascinating to see and that just set him up for driving just way too aggressively it just you almost knew that if it didn't if he didn't go off and and crash out at that turn it was going to happen at some point because he it's almost like he forgot how to drive um, in the midfield and he was just so out of his element pressing way too hard and it was just he just felt like he was going to be doomed from the start there so it it was no surprise seeing him out off into the grass and it sucked it just you could tell how bummed he was and, and, you know, he's, he's definitely still looking to unlock his potential this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was just 
definitely not gonna gonna put him where he wanted to be and and clearly a, a very rough weekend and rough race for him yeah it was just a classic case of overdriving you know he was just trying to do way too much on those opening laps you know he just didn't have it in his head you know you got to think something's going on there honestly outside of that it was somewhat you know we got a good battle between Checo and and Hamilton before Max's DNF you know we thought there was going to be a pretty good battle between him and Charles there was that I think it was right after the safety car restart and Max was kind of coming down the straight challenging Charles. You thought maybe he was going to get DRS and, and we were going to see something like we saw in Jetta kind of just fizzled out. It looked like honestly Verstappen was probably going to be pushing too much on those tires. Uh, just Ferrari had way too much pace. I think he tried to give it a go, try and get track position, but didn't get to see another Max versus Charles battle. We saw a little bit of a, a tussle between Checo and in Hamilton. And then even I think George was holding up uh, Checo after a, a virtual safety car too, and he ended up having to let him go because he just didn't have the pace and he was going to lose his tires. But, you know, outside of that, it was kind of like a, it wasn't an eventful race compared to what we've had. I mean, we had a, an awesome time watching it, but it just didn't seem like it didn't have the same draw as Bahrain. It didn't have the same action as Jetta. I think in those two races combined, we saw eight to 10 race leader changes. And in this one, we had zero. The headlines of the weekend, in my opinion, was more of the fact that Charles is still on top. Uh, Mercedes, damage limitation, Red Bull, more reliability issues. And then out of nowhere, Albon with a mega stint, 57 laps on the hard tire. He came out of the pits on softs. He had to battle Joe Ganyu for, for P10, got him on into turn four. I mean, Albon, they're calling him the tire whisperer. What an absolute phenomenal stint. A great strategy out of Williams. I'd love to your, your reaction. You hit the, hit the nail on the head there. It was a pretty quiet race mostly, but that, that was the highlight outside of um, Leclerc winning. It was, it was awesome to watch. I love watching teams towards the bottom, thinking outside the box and how to make some noise and, and potentially grab a point. Uh, it was a brilliant strategy. Nothing to lose, so why not do something so out of the box like that? For sure, got got some luck with how the safety cars shook out, but uh, it was a great drive by Albon, and it's going to take some pressure off from the rest of the year. I, I think we kind of see him race even better now, knowing that he's got a point under his belt, no pressure really on him. But it was it was funny. Did you see the people in the uh, pit lane when Albon went in uh, went in to finally make his stop? For the last lap no i didn't see it they unlock they let people into pit lane um fans vips and he almost crashed into him it was almost an extremely dangerous situation someone's got to get fired for doing that but there were people inside pit lane during albon stop for the last lap it was a scary situation uh added a little bit of drama there but um yeah that was one of the craziest things you'll see from uh, a car towards the back of the field. I think Latifi is in a little bit of trouble here. If Albon can pull that off into Williams and Latifi's ending up P16, he's got to be a little bit nervous. I mean, again, Albon, just what more can you say? And, and not only that, it wasn't easy for him to get to P10. He still had to battle Joe Yu in that Alfa Romeo, which is pretty quick. He had to overtake him. He still had to take care of business. It wasn't like he had a 28 second gap where he could easily pit for new tires and, and run out. Williams must be just, they're, they're ecstatic. I mean, we've got a guest on later today. We'll get his take on what happened with Albon and Latifi and, and see what he has for some thoughts. But, you know, our, our sources are just saying that like this year, the tires have been a, we, we said it from early on the season, but 
all of our sources are saying the tires is still open question marks for these teams. How hard to push? I mean, I think Verstappen had to manage his tires. So even if he, even if the reliability was there, he was definitely not going to catch Charles. They were having way more degradation compared to Ferrari. I think all these guys are having tough times warming them up. The blankets are a little bit cooler this year for warmups. Warmups are an issue. Some need two outlaps for quality. It's just it's a kind of like an even playing field this year, but it seems like Albon knows what he's doing. I mean, be very curious to see what happens at, at Imola. You just love to see it. You know, he kind of got a hard rap at Red Bull, became the reserve driver last year. And then this year, you know, got his start back at Williams and to get in the points after the third race, when your teammate is basically last is that's going to be a huge win, huge win. Yeah, the tires certainly are becoming the story story of the year. It seems like each of the three races, it's been the the chatter during the whole entire race, how these tires are are holding up. It's funny that no one's even really messing around with the soft tires. We don't even see any teams fooling around with those. So very interesting start to the year. See all these different tracks, how it differs, how the degradation differs from track to track. Um, but they're they're definitely becoming a, a story. And Pirelli's having a tough year. Very tough. Yeah. No, tough year. I, I almost think like the, the FIA kind of did a little bit too much with new tires and less cooling. Like you kind of got to pick one, right? Like what are you going to, you're going to have these guys on brand new sets of tires. Um, our sources are also saying that the tires are a little bit more forgiving this year, which is actually pretty interesting. So maybe it levels the playing field a little bit more, but to count on cold tires with bigger tires, it just seems like they were trying to do a little bit too much. I wonder if like next year we start to see them raise the temperatures of what they are warming these tires up to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, Australia recap, Charles P1 again, just he's running away with the drivers right now. Checo, great race out of hand, P2. Then you got both Mercedes, Russell and Hamilton. That could have been an even swap. I mean, I think Russell got a little lucky. Hamilton had pitted. Then there was a safety car. Russell got a free pit, handed up ahead of his teammate. Those two, I mean, Mercedes, they're for a team that's just kind of didn't seem like they have a good car or a lot of pace this year. They're right in the mix and they're just reliable and they're taking advantage when people are DNFing right after them. I mean, we got McLaren five and six with Lando and Ricardo. Sadly, one of your losses of the week, we'll get to that in a later segment. And then Ocon and Alpine finishing up in the points P7, Bottas and then Gasly and Albon rounding out the, the in the points. So that's your Australia in the points from the in the points podcast. Seemed like kind of just like a, an uneventful race, honestly, compared to what we've seen so far this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, any F1 race is a great race. Like you said, we had a great time watching it, but I just didn't really like the track, to be yeah. honest. I just uh, thought it was boring, a little too yep. many twists and turns, not enough places to to overtake. It didn't feel like these the cars were just driving so closely together all race. Like, yeah. there was no gaps in the midfield. It was really, that was crazy to watch. But at the same time, it was just not like not that much happened. So I think it was really more of a product of that course. And I'm happy to see it through the schedule now. I think we have a couple of great tracks coming up. So hopefully a little bit more action in, in these coming weeks. Yeah. And so after Australia, the, our, our drivers, our standings in the drivers, Charles way ahead. He's in first 71 points. He's got about 34 point gap between him and P2 right now. George Russell. George Russell is in second place for the drivers at Mercedes for a team that you think doesn't have a very good car. Not you. I mean, anyone doesn't think they have a very good car. They've got a driver that's second place. Signs still third. Checo fourth. Hamilton fifth. And Verstappen sixth. And guess what? 
Akon, seventh. And you know what separates Russell to Akon and all those people? 17 points. So in any given race, that swing could be huge. It's now just a matter of whether or not someone can catch Charles. Yeah, these standings are fascinating. It's just like seeing, besides Leclerc, who's obviously, you know, the head of the class right now, seeing how the next, you know, seven or eight spots shake up. It's like, hmm. This is, this is interesting. This isn't kind of, kind of how you thought it, it would look and how it's really looked on the track is, hasn't really looked like that order. So it's obviously very, very early, but yeah, see Russell in second. Good for him. He's, he's having a great start to the season. He's got a lot to be proud of. I bet that, I don't want to say Irks Hamilton, but definitely some motivation for him to catch his teammate, I think. So I'll be, I'll be very excited to watch how those two battle it out throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, well, I mean, we heard him on the radio saying to his team that they put him in a really tough spot. And uh, after the race, they they kind of were caged. And they're like, no, no, it was more about managing the tires. But, you know, you, you got to think it was more of him playing second fiddle to George Russell. So that way that both cars could could stay in the points. But Absolutely. definitely not something from a seven-time world champion you want to be playing second fiddle to after Jetta not qualifying into Q2. After this weekend, getting unlucky with a safety car, because realistically, those cars, those two were interchangeable. It was a matter of a safety car that Russell got some luck. They're good. They're very good at managing the post-race narrative. But you got to think he was a little annoyed that he was uh, behind his teammate. Um, no we saw it with Nico Rosberg way back in the day. Hamilton does not like to play second fiddle. We saw it with Valtteri Bottas for a number of years. But Sam, moving on, the only team, the only podcast in the industry, we love to grade ourselves. We like to know what we got right, what we got wrong. So I think it's a good thing to recap, you know, our takes from the weekend. This one, the first one I got for us getting right, this is as a podcast. We got Mercedes figuring some things out this weekend. We thought they were going to bring some packages. They didn't. So, but... We thought that they were going to be back on the top step. I said that my one of my bets was where I thought that George Russell was going to be P3. You thought Hamilton was going to be P3. We were all over Mercedes being back. And like we said earlier, it was a flip of a coin who was P3. And I think that deserves us both being right. So kudos to us on that one. Good job. Great job. We were all over that. Yep, we were. What we got wrong, the Albert Park track. That's me. Hand up. Awful track. I thought I liked it. You had said you didn't really like it that much when we played, you know, the F1 video game. It was not your favorite track. That was something I got wrong. Bad track. Um, the DRS, they they removed one of the zones, so maybe that's not entirely ours to blame. Maybe with the fourth DRS, we would have seen a little bit more, more action, but boring. Boring track. Boring race. Couple highlights, but overall, big capital B, boring track. So, boo, boo Albert Park. What we got right, best bets. Sam, you were absolutely on fire with your bets this weekend. You went six and two where there was lines, six and three because you had Ricardo over Norris, um, but there was no line for that. So you you liked that. They were really close. So from live bets, you went six and two. You nailed the safety car being deployed. That was your best bet. You said that one was, you were all over that one. Tough on your other best bet, Haas, double points. Like you said, first day race, they just didn't seem like they, they knew how to manage the temperature. But overall, your bets, six and two, what a phenomenal outing. Like you got you to gotta give the fans a little bit of a speech there because that was impressive. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm on a heater. No question about it. I have a pulse on F1 this year. I'm all over it. I think I've got a beat on Vegas. 
And yeah, if you if you want to make money betting F1, follow our Twitter account um, and continue to listen to this. I'll continue giving out our picks, but I have a beat on F1. I feel great about this race coming up this weekend. Yeah, I'm hot. Um, I'm super hot right now. As a podcast for those listening this weekend, because um, I, I took every one of Sam's bets with the exception of Charles. I took Max. Um, I took uh, George Russell to beat Hamilton and I did not take Haas double points. So as a podcast collectively this weekend, we were 12 and four. Yeah, that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. 12 and four. And actually, I think we were eight and three on unique types of bets. So all the, t- all the bets that we both had, we, we took out, we were eight and three as a podcast. Unbelievable from us. I mean, that deserves two rounds of applause. I'll add it in when I do it in post-production. Brings me to one of the losses. You know, there was a couple of those from you, but we already talked about them. You had the double points. You had the Ricardo Orlando. I mean, that, that's what you got wrong. But like in the grand scheme of things, who cares? That was an impressive weekend out of you. What we got right, you saying Max and Charles were going to continue to swap places in qualifying. Unbelievable call. It happened again. It was back and forth and back and forth. Q1, Q2, Q3. Max ahead, Charles ahead, Max ahead, Charles ahead. Just absolutely unbelievable. You nailed that one once again. So good for you. And then what we got wrong, Magnuson, I thought K-Mag had a chance to be up in the top three. I think when you asked me last week, my poll and my P1 through P3 predictions I thought K-Mag was an outside chance to be maybe on a podium. Boy, was I wrong. He ended up, I think, you know, closer to like P14. So really tough for me. And then, you know, for us to both have Verstappen in our P1, P2s in our calls, we also didn't get that right. So tough, tough for us. I mean, it's so hard, though, because like with Max, he's a flip of a coin. It's like you got these reliability issues and but we nailed some stuff. Yeah, we're 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 hot. We're getting more right than we're getting wrong. So, and, and we're being accountable on the ones we got wrong. And then one runner-up I had for myself being right was Checo over signs. Again, no line, couldn't bet it, but that one felt good seeing Checo P two. Didn't like signs DNFing, but just in terms of the call that Checo would finish ahead of signs was good. All right, now we're going to move on to our favorite segment. They said what? So this segment for our new listeners, these are quotes that we have from the weekend. What we do every time is I ask Sam, um, I give him the quote. He has to tell me who said it, and it's only team principals and uh, drivers. This week, Sam, I've got four quotes I'm going to give you. Um, You're going to have to tell me who it is. Right now on the year, it's Sam three and three. He has gotten three quotes right. I've stumped him on three quotes. So as a podcast, he is three and three. I am also three and three. So this could be a big week for us. All right. Here's the first and, one. And say and so our our listeners understand. I don't I haven't seen these quotes. Yep. I, I I have not seen these quotes. Um, so this is this is all real. This is real life stuff. All right, Sam, this first quote, I'm going to bleep out the name of the person that this other person that you're going to guess is referring to. So that way you don't, it doesn't give it away. He's something, haha. It's like, you know, like he's a girlfriend or a boyfriend, some kind of feeling. <laughs> what a ridiculous um, quote. I'm going to say that's from Lando Norris. Good guess, but it was actually Yuki Sonoda referring to Pierre Gasly. He said, Pierre's something. <laughs> it's, you know, like girlfriend or boyfriend, some kind of feeling. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on there. It seems like a pretty Yuki, good man. romance between Yuki and Gasly. All right. So on to the next one. 
I was like, no way you're that close. This is an April, you Muppet. Well, actually it is. Oh, shut up. Oh, man. Um, I'm going to go with, yeah, I'm going to go with Lando again. Yeah, that's right. Ding, ding. Lando Norris to Albon post-race interview. That was an awesome interview, actually. It was Albon was, was talking with Rosanna, and then Lando bombed in, and he just started giving Albon some crap. Didn't believe Albon finishing the points. All right, fourth one. So one-to-one right now. This one's a good one. Are you still awake? That was Checo. Yep. to his engineer. Yeah, that, that it was a lonely race for Checo, um, really driving af- after passing um, both Russell and Hamilton. Um, not much else for him to, to drive against. So, um, yeah, I think he thought his engineer might have fell, fallen asleep. Yep. All right. Good, good one from you. That was right. It was Checo. Uh, race engineer ended up saying, he was like, yeah, it's just a little jet lag being funny back. All right. Last one of the week. He's just immune to feedback, and even today, he has not properly reflected that he did something wrong. Wow. I'm going to say that's Toto Wolf talking about our least favorite F1 person of all time, former race director Michael Massey. You hit the nail on the head. That is exactly what that was. Toto, he was asked about it at the end of the race, and uh, he was talking about him, and he said, yeah, Michael Massey, to this day, he still has not properly reflected that he did something wrong. So yeah, good, good one from you. Wow. On the season six and four, you are clearly ahead. Great guesses on the Lando and the Toto. That was fantastic. So more to come for our listeners. We're keeping a a running list of the entire season. Uh, What Sam got right, what he got wrong. Whoever has the most at the end will do something special. The loser will have to do something stupid um, and tune in at the end of the season for what that is. So Sam, you know, last week we missed our, our episode. We we were we missed our race recap and reaction. So luckily for our fans this week, they get a special double stack episode from us. So there was a lot of headlines since Australia. Uh, coming into this week, you know, our normal format is to talk about what's happened in the F1 world since the last race. There's this headline. Is the Miami race canceled? Because the people who live there are complaining about the noise that's going to be there for three days. Do you think the Miami, I mean, this is being, it's going in front of a judge to see if the Miami race street circuit going around planet hall or what's the the park. It's the name of the dolphin stadium, hard rock, hard Hard rock Rock hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Going to be canceled because of noise complaints before the race even starts. What, What do you think about that? Um, the short answer, give me a break. Um, I mean, just give me a break. It's Miami. Um, I like a a city that's known notoriously for, you know, people out and about until like five in the morning. Um, give me a break. So I, that's, it's not going to matter. The race is going to happen. Um, but you know, this got me kind of thinking and this might sound totally bizarre. So bear with me here. Um, but what if there was an indoor track, you know, it takes away the elements of rain and like, you know, the hot sun, stuff like that. But I think visually be kind of cool, probably a dumb idea, but um, it would avoid these dumb noise ordinance uh, at these new tracks like Miami probably will be one at Vegas, but I just thought indoor track, you know, be kind of cool. Sick, Actually, you're like, you just kind of, 
it, it's crazy to think about. Like, I think that would be so sick to have, or even, you know, it'd be so cool. Imagine having like where a part of it goes inside. Um, yeah. You know, like that would be wild. Imagine like racing through like a football stadium where you just kind of like open up the bays and like put some asphalt yeah. down. They just kind of like race through a stadium and you kind of like, inside. yeah, like a, like a splashed mountain kind of like yeah. half of it's in half of it's out. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be sweet. No, I'm, I mean, I'm pumped for Miami. I think my, the Miami race is going to be sick. I'm with you. I, I think those cranks, those losers talking about canceling the race. I mean, we're talking about three o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday, like for an hour and a half. Like grow up, Miami find, race. They always find something to complain about. Something in this day and age, it's anything and everything they get their hands on. They want to bitch and moan and complain. Pound sand, go screw Miami race on. It is happening, and you know what? You heard it here first on in the points. F F one Miami Instagram commented that we cannot wait to see the Red Bull car on the Miami street circuit that Red Bull was in Miami with their car. And so F1 Miami commented, yes, we can't wait to see you. So as far as we're concerned, race on game on yep. Miami 2022. Let's go. Let's go. Um, Viva la Miami. Viva la Miami. Second piece breaking today. Four teams protesting I don't think it's actually a protest, but for our intents and purposes, it is a protest. Protesting Haas and Ferrari. They're thinking they're too, too working together too much. And you got Alpine, Aston Martin, McLaren, and the fourth team, Mercedes. All coming together and saying that they think something's up. You're, you're, we're big Haas guys. You're a huge Ferrari guy. What's your reaction? You think it's well, I mean, something's probably up <laughs> is what I'd say. Um, I mean, I, I think I read that Haas moved their um, one of their, their main headquarters, like right down the street to right Ferrari. So, um, I mean, yeah, let, let's let's be real. The turnaround that Haas has made over the course of the year, um, it's incredible. So something's probably up. But my reaction to that is who cares? Who cares? Um like the Alpine, Mercedes, McLaren, Aston Martin, figure it out. Like, go pay one of these other teams to, to give you the formula. Like, it, just figure it out. Stop, be, stop being sour grapes. It's part of the game. Um, the, a, a lot of these teams communicate with each other. Uh, it's this isn't new. So just stop whining. Figure it out. Um, but yeah, something's probably up. I won't lie. It's they're they're probably colluding. It's ironic that the three Mercedes engine teams. Uh, well, I guess the fourth would be Williams. They're not in the, the, the mix here, but the three McLaren, Asmart, Mercedes are all Mercedes customers. They're protesting two Ferrari engines. Go figure, right? You know, it's yeah. almost like, all right, guys. What a wild coincidence. What a wild coincidence. And, you know, as much as we love Alpine, they're now two for two in these mixes of complaints, right? They complain about the DRS zones at the track. They're complaining about Haas and Ferrari, and they're off to a pretty good start. And, uh, you just you hate to see it being muddied. I hope nothing comes of it, but um, yeah, crazy, crazy day in the world of Haas and Ferrari. That would be wild if we got like some type of sanctions on them this year. Um, I don't see it coming, but I mean, the last time we saw Ferrari with this much pace, they got told that they had to stop using something. I don't think we're going to get anything like that, but I mean, it will be wild. More to come on that. I, I think you're spot on though. Too much complaining, like just relax. Um, another headline, Red Bull, what, I mean, I don't know if you've kept up with that. The helmet Marco 
Verstappen kind of like quote war back and forth. It just seems crazy. Like Helmut said he he needs to relax. He was like Verstappen's like on edge and he thought that winning one drivers would would kind of calm his nerves. And he's just like Verstappen saying that the, the reliability was unacceptable and Helmut kind of almost calling him a baby. Um, then they come back out and they're like, it's another fuel line that burst. I mean, it, it just almost as good as Red Bull has a car without reliability, it seems like they're literally panic mode, like all over the place. Yeah, they're, they're certainly one more poor weekend away from legit having to hit the panic button. Um, yeah. But th- here's my thoughts on this. Max is now a bona fide superstar. He's yeah. arguably the number one driver in F1. He's going to demand his car be reliable. So, like, I don't know what Helmet is is thinking is going to happen. Like, he got a taste of winning. The only thing that's going to happen now is he wants to win more. Like, I, him winning last year wasn't going to tame his expectations and, and make make him be comfortable finishing third in the constructors and fifth in the drivers. Like, give me a break. He's a he's going to be a big uh, a big personality, and he's going to demand his car be reliable and fast on a year in and year out basis. So I don't know why he's surprised he's re- he's acting like this. I mean, I don't really even blame Verstappen for acting like this. He's he's supposed to be in a in a top two car potentially top one car and two of the three races his car couldn't get through the race so i don't blame him for being pissed um so yeah i don't know why you know helmet marco is so surprised that uh verstappen's been so outspoken i i can't either and i'm i'm with you man like if i'm the defending drivers world champion and you know we know there was controversy last year not really his fault i mean if it was the shoe was on the other foot hamilton would have taken the exact same thing so like it's not max's fault that michael massey totally botched abu dhabi but for arguments purposes he was crowned the driver's champion last year to be a defending world drivers championship and in two of your three races one of which you're actually competing and for first to have two dnfs in your first three races, I'd be bullshit. I'd be so pissed off. And I don't even understand what Helmet's talking about. No kidding, he's pissed. Yeah, he would. Another win would take the edge off. You think Hamilton would be accepting? Hamilton was barely accepting Q1. And we got, I, and you know what? Horner came out. He's like, yeah, Max is understandably upset. And it is unacceptable to be on the number, to be arguably driving the number one car and to have your engine fail twice in three races. When you have a clear P2, now granted, every single weekend, people like lack pace. It it was not Max's race to win. P2 was looking about the best he could have done. To DNF, it is unacceptable. And honestly, like this Red Bull team, like Dr. Marco, like you need to relax because we're talking about Formula One being like the top team. Yeah, two DNFs in three races is unacceptable. And I don't blame anybody. And anyone who says otherwise is an idiot. Agreed. It's ridiculous. But hopefully they can figure it out for this weekend. I mean, they bounced back from Bahrain, took P1 in Jeddah. Obviously, Max had a good um, good outcome last year at Imola. He was a P1 winner last year. So more to come. We'll, we'll do our Imola preview um, a little bit later in the episode. But now, Sam, well, the moment we're super excited for, we get to speak with, with Ernesto Desiderio. He is a former uh, performance engineer at Haas. He worked with the likes of Roman Grosjean and Nikita Mazepin. 
And in a few weeks, uh, he will be joining a another Formula One team. Yeah, Ernie's the man. Can't wait to uh, to to dive into all this stuff. A great, another great guest, friend of the program. Um, looking forward to this. Yeah. So, without further ado, our interview with Ernesto Desideria. We have very special guest Ernesto Ernie Desiderio former Haas performance engineer and soon to be Williams race engineer. Ernie, so happy to have you on the podcast. So glad to be here, guys. Really, thank you very much for inviting. And uh, yeah, I was very, very excited to be here today having a chat with you about F1. Yeah, so are we. Also, you've got a, a new book out, Formula One Race Engineering. Read it this weekend. We'll, we'll certainly be talking about that. It was a really fun That's read. Right. Really awesome to kind of talk about, you know, thinking about what's going on with maximizing driver performance and, and in, in a sport where hundreds and thousands of seconds make such a huge difference. So really excited to talk to you about that. But let's start with, you know, maybe you could give the listeners a little bit of a background. You've got a, an awesome variety of experience in motorsport, more recently with Haas and, and soon to be Williams. Maybe you could give our listeners like a background of, of where you've been and, and what a performance engineer and now a race engineer will do. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. Like um, a bit seasoned. Uh, when I started this job, I used to have a lot of hair and, and now they're falling off. Um, I started I started at Dallara a long time ago as a, a vehicle dynamicist and junior performance engineer working at the simulator. Uh, first in Italy, then I moved to uh, Indianapolis, I'm still like working at the simulator and managing a couple of programs, IndyCar and NASCAR mainly, and then, you know, helping these guys with the simulator sessions and, you know, model development correlation and everything and then going you know to help them with their track side performance both on NASCAR and, and IndyCar so that was that was awesome and spent like almost three years in the states um, visiting and, and and you know living around there and, and I loved it and I have to say the racing in, in in the US is is some somehow like different from you know what I've experienced later on in Europe and in the rest of the world yeah, uh, it's different, different, difficult to describe it, but I loved it. Then from there, I moved to Toyota in LMP1 when the LMP1 championship was still LMP1H. So with the hybrid uh, category, competing against Porsche and, and Audi at that time still. Did Le Mans a couple of times, um, almost won it. Uh, that, that The car that had stopped at the uh, uh, last lap, uh, yeah, that was our car. Um, so I was with them that year and the year after when again almost got it, but then Kobayashi kind of like uh, unfortunately Kobayashi's car broke down and yeah, couldn't really uh maximize the potential of a super fast car that still and at today I think I'm sure today still has the track record element. And then from there I moved on to Haas F1 in Italy first, and then I moved on to a performance engineer here in, in the UK in Oxford, where I'm where I'm right now, still. Um, did three years of track side with Grosjean and last year with um, Nikita Mazepin as a performance engineer. And yeah, and, and this all led to a next year job. Well, actually, I have to say this year because I, need, I still need to get used to it. I'm going to start in a few weeks at Williams as a race engineer on Latifi's car. Yeah, no, that's super exciting. I mean, before we even get into to William, that last lap, I mean, I read about it in the book. I obviously didn't didn't watch the race. 
really crazy because you talk about that in the book a little bit about you have your, your PDR, your, your perception, decision, and reaction process, which is super cool. But that was one where the driver actually had to, you had to make a split decision. You guys tried to make that finish the last lap in electric mode because the, the car was kind of, the engine was dying. It's obviously an intense race yeah. and didn't pan out well. But um, I think you said that, that this book was, was part of the reason that kind of helped you kind of further your career and the F1 community and maybe you want to talk a little bit about that yeah no absolutely like we'll come to that last lap in a second but that was a clear example that I had to uh, you know use in the book to just like put black on white on how important it is for a driver to keep his cool even in an impossible situation like that one that that you know Kazuki Nakajima was was found himself in and you know having having led the race for 23 hours and 58 minutes and then, you know, you're oh, like starts of the last lap, the engine, you know, starts to give up and, and you still need to do some, you know, switch changes and procedures and stuff. And, you know, engineers like us calling on the radio um, procedures to do and, and you're exhausted because you're awake since like 36 hours, 40 hours. So really like it's a physical sport, but mostly car racing, I learned the hard way. It's a very, uh, it's, a, it's a mental sport, mostly for everybody that is involved. It's not only the drivers, engineers as well. And I had to, uh, you know, grow in that sense, in that sort of like skill set. And I felt that, you know, university, of course, like college doesn't prepare you for that. And you have to learn it. So I just wanted, you know, with the book, I just wanted to uh, share what I learned through the years and what I was able, like also, uh, you know, following some uh, courses on, you know, high performance psychology for athletes and stuff uh, really like helped me out to be a better engineer. But yeah, that, that last lap was crazy guys. Like I, yeah, I still have goosebumps, you know, like the, uh, it's just like you hear in the radio, I have no power. And you're like, wait, where they, they were opening the bottles here. What, what are you talking about? Is this a joke? And um, yeah, and it, you know, it all crumbles under your your feet because really, like to, for for a race like a twenty four hour, you know, twenty four racing for twenty four hours per se is a huge challenge for everybody who's involved. And even if I'm saying you know you're awake since like forty hours, it doesn't really give you the full picture. Imagine that. Imagine guys that for that race um, you're preparing your car and your your crew since like six months wow. start at the beginning of January and you're doing endurance testing. So an endurance testing is like 30 hours of, of running continuously, you know, rotating the six drivers or seven drivers and the engineers rotate. And then at one point you do a full endurance just with two completely like separate car crew and, and you keep going at it, testing the reliability of the car, but also you know, the resilience of the people that are working in the environment. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I think like after that race, you know, the stress goes down and, and, you know, the adrenaline goes off. I slept for like 18 or 19 hours straight. How many, how many coffees did it take to get through that race or Red Bulls? What was, uh, what uh, was that like? <laughs> countless Red Bull, Monster, whatever you, you had it, you would, you would use it. But you see, like, that's the other thing. You cannot drink too much as well. Otherwise you would have to go to the bathroom right. too often. 
So it really like it, it all comes down to these silly things. And you know, I had I had the other the other engineer on, on that car. He wouldn't drink, so he couldn't. He, he didn't have to go to the toilet. <laughs> wow, but yeah, I mean, you, you also mention in the book it's it's similar between LMP1 and even F1 and, and probably a lot of the other sports too. But predominantly those two. There's like, I think uh, the fans don't really understand that there's about 300 to 350 different settings a car could possibly have. And it could range from reliability to maximizing horsepower to, you know, making sure there's balance or saving the battery. And and these guys, they're going down these straights at 200 miles an hour. LMP1, they're probably going Mm -hmm. even faster. I think there's two engines in those cars and they're just much faster. Those are rocket ships. Um, but you have to also communicate to these drivers who are maximizing performance. They're on the edge every single lap. They're trying to race, hold people back. They're trying to pass. They're trying to catch people. And then to have to go on the steering wheel and switch on to, you know, setting 54 or anything. It's, it's so mentally. Sounds busy. Yeah. It sounds busy the way you're, you're saying it. And, and I can assure you is as busy as it sounds. Um, going, yeah. The LMP1 cars compared to the F1, you know, a lot of times people just dismiss everything that is not F1. And I, I did the same mistake years ago as well. Um, even, even considering NASCAR, when I joined it, uh, I didn't think it was such a high level of you know, refinement, you know, because the car is so simple. The engineering behind is so complex and I, I had no idea. And, um, and LMP1, you know, when you start having electric motors, you know, everything you learn from your classic racing approach goes because all of a sudden you're harvesting energy, you're deploying energy. When you deploy, what power? You know, it was free from motor, rear motors. And, and a Formula One car has only a rear electric motor, right? And an MGUH. Uh, that, that LMP1H, which I think it was the probably so far the highest complex car that I've ever um, seen on a racetrack, uh, you used to have front motor, rear motor. You could decide which motor you would, you know, start using the energy with. Two differentials, front and rear. If one is not complex enough, um, deciding, you know, three or four different ways of recovering energy under braking or just using the engine against the motor, or, or you know, the, the, there is there was a lot of. Um, probably like there was a high level of complexity that it was so difficult even for the people that would, you know, um, follow the sport. It's impossible to understand it. Sometimes I feel like F1 as well is too complicated to, uh, for the people at home. And we are, you know, we are optimizing everything to a level that for the spectator, really this doesn't, doesn't add that, you know, extra um, level of, um, you know, magic because they don't see it. Uh, so very complex and you know to manage these cars to drive these cars at their at the maximum at the limit you have to know what a car like this is capable of that that's that's also like one of the reasons why you know i I, in the book i i really like spend a lot of time describing the perception area because if you don't know what you're driving if you don't know what a car can do um you will never ever be able to drive it 100 percent so I've seen the difference between a young driver and a, and a seasoned driver that knows what to do with controls, for example. You know, once you just like move your brake balance back and backwards and forward, but now you can use 
the rear motor to give you like brake balance shapes and then you know the differential is active in a Formula One car and, and you have the engine braking that is not only the, the engine braking related to the internal combustion engine, but you have all, the whole motors to help you out. Um, even more so if you have a front motor as well. So the driver really like needs to know um, what it has available. And for us engineer, it's a massive challenge to make, you know, easier to, to make, to make sort of like to, to give him a tool that he can use and it's not too complex that he can, you know, manage it, master it, if it makes sense. So Ernie, you, you talked a lot about it experience and the importance of experience in driving these cars and and you see the difference between a seasoned veteran and maybe um, a younger rookie you also talked about the simulators you know yeah. is that a really a great way to gain experience and, and what type of difference is there um, between the, the simulator and driving one of those and gaining experience there compared to actually being out on a track in a real car gaining experience that way can you just talk a little bit about that yeah that's, that's a great question the um simulator in itself is a very complicated tool and uh, compared to what the guys have available nowadays in terms of like testing truck side uh, is there is no choice they have to use this they have to make good use of the simulator i always like to think that you know the simulator is not the real car it is the, the closest thing that a professional team can give to his driver the closest thing to his car and 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 he can, if he's smart enough, he understands that that's not the real car, but that is a tool that is going to help him used to procedures, get used to his controls. Track learning is the least of their problem for a young driver, but even, you know, even a very young driver that comes in, doesn't know the track, it will take him 20 minutes, half an hour. These guys are good. These guys are very good. Like between, you know, on a, on a, pure level of performance there might there, there could be like two or three tenths between all the f1 drivers if they put him in the same car with the same equipment um, on a single lap but on the race distance you will see much bigger differences because some people know and understand how to you know track the tire degradation how to track the the, the track evolution uh, how to deal with traffic better than others so this all comes down to experience and is something that you can teach them, but ultimately they need to experience what's wrong and what's right. So the way I like to use the simulator for is giving them, presenting the drivers like these sort of challenges. I don't, I don't really care about, you know, he's him learning the breaking point at the exact meter because it goes on track, the wind is blowing from the opposite direction and the mm -hmm. breaking point is no longer of use. So as long as he drives um, in a way that is realistic, then we can work on a lot more stuff, more in depth, trying to, you know, even if the tire degradation that, you know, the best team in Formula One will have a tire degradation model that is very correlated to reality, but it won't be reality. You know, there is always a, a little bit of a, of a, um, uh, mathematical uncertainty right. on these models as complex as they can be and the important is that you understand it as an engineer and as a driver and you know where the limit is so you don't you know um make fun of yourself right but you know where the limit is right and you start um working 
keeping in mind what are the limitations. And then, for example, you start, you know, um, managing the tires in a certain way. You see what's the difference in, you know, three different runs on high fuel and you explain it to him and you let him try, you let him do it the wrong way, you let him do it your way and then you compare the result. And that's when the whole process of, the, you know, how a simulator can be useful to enhancing a driver performance in, in, my, in my experience. Yeah, well, you, you said it best. I mean, tire degradation has been a huge thing this year and, and your future team in the most recent race we saw a young driver with Alexander Albon go 57 laps on a hard tire and manage the tire yeah. beautifully. And especially in, a, in an era where that's been a huge question mark this year is how to manage these new tires and yeah. and, um, and and last and, and warm them up. And, and he did a phenomenal job. Yeah, and I just uh, open and close parentheses on that long stint from, uh, from Alex it was incredible. Like I usually see the, the strategies, you know, for, for when I'm when I'm sitting on the couch, now I'm forced to sit on the couch because no compete and stuff. Um, I, I'm looking at it and I'm like, they, they're going, they're really going to the end. They're going to the end. And that was incredible. You know, I, I, I was checking the lap times live and I'm like, wow, he is fast, you know, comparing to uh, the McLaren um, in front. And then last weekend, the McLaren were not slow. So yeah. really encouraging and yeah, really great job from the team to pull that off because I think he opened, you know, when something like this happened in Formula One, the week after the race, everyone, I'm sure everyone will have studied that tire degradation, the way he drove, looked at the onboard and, and everything. And, and they, I'm sure they might have learned something that we will see in Imola. Let's see. Wow. I'm really like, I have no idea, but. Um, I was really impressed. You had mentioned the young drivers versus old drivers. You actually have a really interesting hands-on experience with that, with both having Roman Grosjean, who was a very seasoned uh, driver, and then to Nikita Mazepin and, and Mick Schumacher in the season where you had two rookies. So how, how do you compare just you know handling seasoned drivers with, with young rookies? Explain the dynamic of having to work with both you know seasoned vets and rookies um, on a team. Yeah. Going to... Um... To your question about seasoned driver and, and young drivers, how you uh, work with them, um, that is one of the reasons why I really like I, uh, I spend time on the more on the psychological side of it. Some of it I realized that it was needed even when I was working with Roman. Uh, you know, there were days that you know Roman, ten years of Formula One, and um, and uh, I think the results really don't give him as much credit as he should have, because on a good day, Roman was probably one of the two or three fastest guy up there. Um, and uh, fortunately, he didn't always have the car. Uh, we were not really able to give him a car to show his talent with. And, and on, on a good day, you know, my job was so easy. You give him a good car in the window. Uh, when the car comes in, you know, they put the monitors in front of the driver. And, you know, usually I go through a, through uh, the data with him and, you know, discuss uh, here, do you think you can carry a bit more speed here, do this, or maybe try that. And um, always very receptive. Never had a really like a moment like, oh, no, I'm, I'm the driver. Why you, well, no, never. Um, but neither I had like such a situation with, with uh, a young driver. It's just like when Roman was in the ballpark, was in there in like in the zone and was focused. I, he didn't need to look at it. 
he was just like, no, don't worry, Ernie. I got it. I know where I need to uh, gain time. Just leave it on the screen. So I left it. I would leave it on the screen and he would go look at it, go out, take like two tenths off his lap, come back in, say, yeah, yeah, put, put a bit more wing. Okay, change the flap, go out, other two, three tenths off. At that, at that point, my job became so easy. When, when he was telling me, now I don't need to look at the data. I, there was nothing I had to uh, worry about. Uh, a young driver, of course, um, and you know, things, going back to a, a, a vet, like a, a, an experienced driver, like he, even, even in other experiences, you know, you, you see their resilience, especially when things don't go well. Um, because he knows what he's capable of and he knows his potential. So he doesn't start doubting himself. Whereas for a young driver, it's much easier, you know, to um, get in that sort of trick. That's a mental trick. You know, your last, the car is not good. Like last year, car had zero development. So um, it was almost, you know, impossible for those guys to really like show what they were able of. And you go out, your teammate is faster, and you start thinking, oh, no, shit, then I, 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 they felt they had to show something, whereas an experienced driver doesn't have to show anything. He, just, he can focus on the perfect execution of what he has to do, whereas maybe a young driver, sometimes he gets in his head and, you know, he crashed the car a couple of times more than he wanted to, spins off the truck, and, and at that point it's all a matter of confidence so at that point really like my job starts to um um you know there has to be a part this is shifted a bit a little bit from working on the car performance and giving him the best car you can to trying to help him out gain confidence back that's you know these guys are humans and we all have doubts we all have had it and and if you if you ever you know uh, you guys follow sports, you know what I'm talking about in football, in soccer, tennis. It's all up here. If you're not confident, you will always have a doubt. And if you think, oh, if I do this, I might make a mistake, 100% you're going to make a mistake. Yep. Just, you just, you know, it's a way of approaching it. So there is a bit of work to do there, maybe with the, you know, with the driver psychologist as well to um, help him out to uh, let him go back to his confidence level. And then you can start working on proper driving and car stuff. Uh, otherwise, it's just wasting your time. Yeah. So you, you just mentioned an interesting, an interesting point about how teammates are you know, always comparing themselves to each other and, and the mental aspect of that. You know, I think it's sort of a common topic every year, um, how teammates' cars stack up against each other. Um, we're used to hearing it, you know, pretty frequently. We saw it a little bit in Drive to Survive with your former team last season. Um, can you just talk about how the two cars on a team do compare to each other? And are they really equal on performance? Or is, is that the goal? Or are they tailored a little bit differently based on who the drivers are, if there really is a one driver versus a two driver, um, and just how they stack up against each other and kind of the yeah. overarching theme of it? <clears throat> Yeah, that you know your your opponent, your first opponent is always your teammate because um, theoretically is the one that has the closest equipment um, to you. I say the closest. Uh, I didn't say the same, Sam, on purpose. Um, you don't get the same equipment because that would mean to get the same car. 
if you really want to do that, then you go back to LMP where three drivers share the same car and you give them the same car with the, the closest tire you can give them and the same control system and everything. And then you have a fair comparison. Anywhere else is never going to be a fair comparison. Like the cars are different. Uh, the parts are different. Even if, you know, these, these parts, the chassis, the floors, the wings, everything is handmade. Even if the tolerances are small, lots of time, you know, I found myself with a car that, you know, even if you align the setup to the other car, it gives you on the data differences mm -hmm. and you measure it. So if you measure it, he's going to feel it. The same car, same setup, same bars, same ride heights, same spring, same everything. You still can measure aerodynamic differences. So a lot of times you have to nail it down to really like, the, you know, squaring the, t the, the T's and dotting the I's and it's still not enough um, to make a fair comparison. Um, last year, you know, I, no one can confirm it for sure, but for sure one was a new chassis, the other one was an old chassis and, and had gone through like few crashes. So you, you test the chassis, you test everything, everything like came back normal. But you, when you do these tests, you're testing in a simple uh, load case, you know, uh, you know, lots of um, these differences cannot be nailed down, unfortunately. Um, all the time so it's still a fair comparison you know if your teammate is always faster then there is something you have to do but um it's never gonna be black and white and how um, can how contentious does that make the relationship between teammates between different race engineers you know it, it's gotta it's it's gotta really get awkward sometimes if a car does of a, of a driver does feel like they're getting slighted a little bit and maybe has a slower car it does. Yeah, yeah. No, I, that's that's right. And there will always be that sort of level of competition between two drivers. It needs to be um, it needs to be a, a positive competition, uh, because if it turns out to be negative, then it's a problem for the team. Um, and lots, you know, a lot of times, even in Drive to Survive, you see this happening in a few teams. But from the inside, you always know what happened and how. And even if it doesn't get told to everybody you know that you know you were slower but if you really look at it you actually could have been faster because mm -hmm. you know what your car was missing compared to the other car in terms of performance so um it doesn't it's not as bad as it looks uh, let me put it that way and, and in terms of engineering we all we all get employed from the team so even if you're split in two different cars and you want your car to be faster in the end but our real target is to make the team do well and it doesn't matter like if i have to sacrifice a round to help the teammate or if you, if i have to block traffic to help the teammate score points for the team i will always do it mm -hmm. that's the that's that the game is a is a team game and the team name is more important so you're telling us the drive to survive is a little dramatized, maybe not as as realistic as they as they try to make it out to be. They do their job, and I think they do a great job. Um, I loved it all three series, you know. And uh, I see like there is this broken like split opinion between people that are in the uh, in the business. I don't look at it. I look at it. You you know people don't don't really watch it. Some people watch it. 
I watch it. I know what is the true story behind, but it's still a great show for me. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. Like people, fans from the States, especially like in the States, it kind of like boomed completely since like Drive to Survive when when um on air and and really hats off to uh to them for the idea drivers um complaining i can see why because you know they picture you know, image for them is an important part of um their mental you know preparation as well you don't want to go to a race and and be seen as the villain so or or the uh, spoiled kid so um Probably like few things need to be uh, nailed down, but I, I think it's it's brilliant as far as I am concerned. My humble opinion. And uh, uh, you you made an appearance on that show. I saw you in one of the episodes. You, there was a uh, <laughs> clip they were showing. It was the episode where they were spotlighting Haas, and I think it was after one of the races. I forget which race, but it was uh, Mick on one side, Nikita on the other, and you were sitting to his left. You're wearing a mask, but I, I was able to spot yeah, you. Yeah. It's like that's definitely yeah. irony over there. So you're yeah, even making I'm, an appearance on the Drive to Survive show. Which yeah, is fun. I'm I'm there. I'm there in few. Um, in all the in all the series and in a couple of episodes and you know um i have a mom and my mom never fails to let me know when (laughs) (laughs) that's unbelievable no so you know it's funny though because you're also in your book and even where we're just talking about the the setups and the tracks are so important and that's where teams unlock pace i mean we've heard rumors of you know no one has a driver one and a driver two officially but we all know the teams that have a number one driver and a number two driver they tend to be the ones at the top with the superstars like the maxes the lewises um you know arguably lando maybe now charles has kind of pulled away but with the setups you know we hear rumblings that Red Bull and other teams, they test out, you know, one part on one driver. And if it works, they give it to the number one driver. Uh, so like they say, they put it on Checo's car, like a new wing. And then if it works really nicely and the data comes back positively, then they give it to Max for FP2 and see how he likes it. And so could you just talk about like when teams are bringing upgrades and packages and, and tweaking setups, like what's the whole process like going into a race weekend? And like, how are you guys like not, not necessarily you know, trade secrets, but more of like, what's typically what goes on when teams are bringing packages and upgrades to a race weekend? Yeah, um, good question as well. Um, and I can see how this can be uh, from from the outside for, for, for the show. A lot of times he opens speculation, okay, they gave the best part to the number one driver. Um, it really like, it all depends where you are in the championship you know and what you're you're racing for if you're racing for p1 in the championship then it has to be taken in consideration you know a number one and a number two um i don't know specifically on red bull and, and what they guys did but in general when you bring something on a car like an update on the race as we will see in imola uh you don't know if that update is going to correlate well um, better or worse than the previous parts you had on the car. So you say you, you bring a new front wing and you test it in FP1. So for example, spring race could be a disaster for upgrades. Like you have one shot at getting the car right. And then after the first um, um, practice, you go straight in qualifying, which means park for May rules applies and you cannot change the car anymore other than if it rains or not for cooling 
only cooling related parts. So um, really like in a, in a race like this one, if I had parts to uh, try, um, I, and I would be in a situation where, you know, number one driver is competing for the championship and the other one not, is not in, the, in that chase, then uh, you will sacrifice that car trying to learn as much as possible. And if in that limited amount of time, you can react and say, look, this is what this new part is giving me that's gonna fix the problem on the other car, I'm gonna put it on the other car, 100%. Say like, but it's like, it's very specific and it depends on the situation you're in. Uh, usually it's not, that's not the case. Usually you bring your own parts, hopefully, if, the, if it's an upgrade, you have enough parts for both cars. Uh, but I can see with cost cap coming into play, you don't want to waste money on an upgrade that doesn't work. Yeah. So yeah. you maybe only do one set. You measure it on one car. That car is going to race with a different aero package that weakened. And then the next upgrade, the other car will take it. Usually it's like this. Right? Even you know, the engines are all the same. Mm-hmm. Are all the same, right? Like, like I say in quotes because every engine has the parts. These stuff, as as incredible the tolerances can be, won't produce the same power. Mm-hmm. Two exact spec engines, so there will always be like a little bit of difference here and there. And you test all the engines on the bench, on the dyno, and and um, and you know which one is better. So. One car will get a better engine, one car will get a worse engine. And then the next time you have to change engine, you, you swap if that's the case. But you know, these are details that I don't I don't even see. I, I have no idea about, but I'm sure it's like that. I've seen another series being like that. Um, so you know, for, for Le Mans as well, like we always had the engines were all the same, but we had the Le Mans engine, which was more the same than the others, if you know what I mean. Like was better because it was measured and and compared to the others and it was saved only for that race specifically so yeah so ernie so, so switching gears to emelon and, and this weekend it's it's our first sprint race of of the year how do you feel about sprint races the the wonky schedule that comes along with it and how much harder does that make your job specifically getting these cars and drivers ready in such a short amount of time with less practice um, and a little bit more at stake with qualifying earlier and the sprint race on top of the actual race on Sunday. Yeah, Sam, that's, that's a totally different challenge. Um, the first time we had to do it last year, we were unsure on what to focus. You know, we had some ideas and it, it proved to be right. Um, but we have necessarily, you have to shift your focus from trying to give him the best car um, for the race that you can change up to the last moment before qualifying on Saturday to let's give him a car that is reliable, is not as optimized maybe, but it definitely can have a little bit of a broader um, window, operating window. Like say, for example, now in Imola, I was checking the weather and it doesn't look to be dry all the time. So what do you do? Do you prepare a car for a dry track and, you know, you cross your fingers or maybe take a car and, you know, make it a little bit more compliant, maybe put a little bit more wing on to cover yourself for a wet race 
which could be the main race or the sprint race. But now with the, with the higher points that they're giving out for the sprint race, it's even more important. So it really like you need to balance out all this stuff. And ultimately in my, my approach, I rather spend time making the driver comfortable with a car and you know have enough scope to affect the car balance with my um, tools that I can still change, like the front wing that can still be you know tweaked to the flap and the, all the controls, differentials, brake maps, and and everything that comes with it, um, so that I can you know build a car that mechanically and aerodynamically is a bit safer, but then I have scope to move mm -hmm. this balance or that balance. You know, wet tires covers sleek tires. Lots of times you're there up against like flap limits and stuff. So uh, you really need to um, look at it in a different perspective. And it's not more about optimizing and taking the last tenth of a second out of the car. But it's more like let's make a car that you know performs well. The driver is comfortable with, and it can be comfortable in wet as in dry. Yep. Yeah, and and honestly, for this weekend too, we're hearing a lot of teams that are planning upgrades. I think Alpine said the other day that they're bringing an aero upgrade. Red Bull said that they are going to bring some upgrades. Mercedes said first European race they're bringing some upgrades. The only team, though, it seems like we're not hearing about upgrades. And actually, Batia Bonato said they were not bringing upgrades as, as Ferrari. So, you know, without speculating what those upgrades are, when all the other teams are bringing upgrades to a race weekend with this format, where it's FP1, then qualifying, and I think Park Ferme is after Q1, even with this weekend in FP2, is would you rather be a team bringing in an upgrade into an unknown weekend or would you rather be sitting Ferrari lead constructor, lead drivers, and, and they're just taking the car that they had in Australia, Jeddah and Bahrain. And they're saying, we're going to, we're going to use this car. I mean, you said wet, you know, the, the Sam said the wonky race weekend, like this seems like it's a head scratcher for teams, but where would you rather be sitting upgrades or would you rather be sitting in a, a fast car like Ferrari and, and just say, we're going to roll the dice. Well, um. If you ask me where I would be sitting, probably in the fastest car. But <laughs> apart from the speed that the cars have shown, I, I can see Ferrari's position um, because they are the one that, you know, at the moment look faster. And I can also see the, the other guy's position that if you, if you just say, okay, I'm not going to bring upgrade to this race because uh, it's a sprint race and it's going to make my life really difficult in that one session, uh, then, yeah, you, you get an easier time this time around, but you, you don't have your answers for the next race. So I would probably bring an upgrade if I had one and test it on one car only and learn as much as possible on the other car. Um, and then, you know, if you have a lot of uh, firepower back at home in the factory with people looking at data and, and, and hopefully they will um give you an answer um on the parts that you tested then you can take a decision and race it or not race it and if you have a preference then you decide which driver you're going to give it to but um it's a tough spot for everybody and i think you know ferrari can afford now to not bring any um upgrade for the moment 
especially if the rumors are true and they haven't yeah used their engine um, completely and you know even that could be an upgrade and you don't see it and they won't tell you yeah um, no it's 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 fair point um, and you know as we think about preparing for race weekends and setups kind of a two-parter in your experience in F1, what has been your track that you're like super excited to go to? It's your favorite track of the year, the team and everyone's buzzing about um, uh, showing up for race weekend and, and you love it. And then also what's the one that you like hate the most? That's like super mm. challenging drivers have a tough time. It's like hard for you to kind of, you know, get them to settle down, let them know that it's okay. And it's just a really difficult you know, track for setup for managing drivers. Like, I guess, you know, give us your, your favorite and your least favorite. Hmm. Well, it is difficult. Um, well, favorite for me, I always loved Monaco. Mm -hmm. It has nothing, almost nothing to do with the car. That's the point. Like for me, Monaco, like ideally, if I go to, if I, when I go in Monaco, when I will go in Monaco in, in, in a few weeks, um, you hope you're giving your driver the best car you can give him as soon as you can because you don't want to spend time in the garage changing parts or, you know, possibly um, something goes wrong in the setup change and you, you're going to, you know, prevent him from going out and making laps because Monaco, it's all about flow and, and driving and finding your marks and, and your rhythm. So for me, as as an engineer that loves the driver being a big part in the car, Monaco is the is the uh, is the the one I'm looking forward. That that's really where you see a driver shining, uh, despite from the car he's driving. Um, but you know, I if I'm allowed, I will also say you know, um, Spa and mm -hmm. Monza are like amongst my my favorite because that's when you're. You're going to lower downforce package, you know, uh, medium low and low downforce package. And when you take load off these these cars, they become really nasty. Like you, you get into a corner and the car is just like wants to go everywhere. And you know, there is a lot of work there. And usually, I think I, I can't remember exactly the calendar this year, but last year we went from Zambor high downforce, super fast, incredible truck with banking and lots of character to Monza, I, I think. Um, so you went from high downforce, high banking, lots of grip to low downforce, flat race truck. Um, and they were all struggling. And, you know, from that, for them to adopt such a deep, to a, such a difference like grip changes is really difficult. And, yeah, looking, I don't know, the, the least favorite, I don't have it. I love them all. That's the thing. Like the, everyone. Even, even Jetta? Even Jetta, yeah. I mean, I, I, I personally have never been to Jetta. Um, they stopped traveling right before that last year. And and I the only thing I am, I, um, I, uh, I've been raised in, in the States where, you know, um, IndyCar, like road course and, and, and uh, city, um, and street courses are are um, really dangerous because of the walls. When I saw that layout, I was a bit worried about the guys getting hurt. Mm -hmm. um, you don't want your driver going into a wall at that speed, as we saw, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, I um, yeah, I can't really say much on Jeddah, but 
I, I like them all. Everyone presents its its challenge. Like for me, the the one that are really difficult are like Singapore, for example, is really difficult to prepare because there are lots of corners. The temperature requirements are super high, um, and um, it's always you always gonna struggle with balance towards the the last sector because it's like a lot of corners and and. Uh, lots of traction so your rear gives up towards the end of the truck and yeah it's, that's difficult like from an engineer that's frustrating because you never get the setup right for the third sector if you want to get it right for the first sector so uh, you're always fighting something that you would never fix because of the layout of the truck not that i don't like it i, I love it it's just like very difficult mm-hmm. and that, so sometimes i feel useless because you, you don't really have much to uh, play with at one point well, Ernie, I, I, uh, I hate to um, to give you some bad news this year from an engineering perspective, but this season you have to go to Spa, then Zandvoort, then Monza, and there it's a triple header. So it's week to yeah. week to week. So you're going yeah. low downforce, high downforce, low downforce within a three yeah. week span. So good luck to you. Yeah, but that makes it that see like Spa comes right after the the summer break um so they're not used to be in the car they come in they're happy um although spa got a little bit different this year so let's see how is your rouge up there um and and i think they they resurfaced bouillon as well so we'll see about that i'm sure it's gonna still be great but th- then you go to zambor then your life is easy because it's lot, lots of grip all of a sudden um oh my god i love that truck last year that event was the first one that we got uh, full spectators back if I'm not if I'm not wrong um, and it made such a difference for us having raised like a year and a half with no one uh, around then you get to uh, Zambort and it's this huge like crowd um, you know they were they were incredible really loved it Ernie, we, talk- we, we, yeah. we talked we talked a little bit earlier about the exciting news you're joining Williams. I'm going to be working with Latifi. It's super exciting. Um, you know, as a viewer, we, we watch these broadcasts and we see, you know, the edited snippets of communication between a race engineer and the driver, um, obviously not hearing it in real time. How much communication is there truly between someone in your position and the driver um, during the race? And, and how, how often are you just kind of leaving them alone, letting them put their heads down and, and kind of go around? Like, what's that like? Yeah, um, I'd say like in every team, uh, there is a different dynamic and it depends on the driver and the engineer. Usually for us in our position, you try to uh, understand what the driver needs and, and try not to uh, overwhelm it and giving him the uh, amount of information that he really needs. Um, sometimes even a guest, the drivers, you know, will think about Kimi, you know, Kimi, he, he just wanted to be left alone. And, but, you know, on his side, he knew exactly what he was doing. Like he would go out in free practice, try a bunch of stuff, come back, say, I tried this, I tried that. And that's not like something that all the drivers do. So, you have to find the right balance. There is a lot of communication going on. Um, and in some race track, you know, it's, it's vital for your time management, for example, that you give him feedback on how he's doing and, and what, what uh, could be uh, done differently. Sometimes when you have to manage tires, you, the driver needs to lift off in places where the car would 
normally go flat. But if you do it for three laps, then the tires are gone. If you save it, then your tires are gonna last 10 laps, sort of thing, just, you know, um, making up uh, numbers. But, mm. um, and then, for example, qualifying is the most hectic um, like, situation that you can find yourself in, communicating with the driver, because you need to uh, put him in a nice spot on track, um, so that he can be in sync with the others, have a nice gap in front, don't have any tread behind, the cars, they're approaching fast and he has to let them go. And then you find them later on in his fast lap. And so we'll have to drive through traffic, even though everyone is usually pretty clean with it. But even if you're overtaking a car and then you have a corner and that car is offline, you still think about that mm -hmm. car. So you're still gonna lose a little bit of focus out of it. Um, so that's, yeah, you know, th there is a lot of communication going back to your question. Um, my, usually my, my, my idea of it, my approach would be to give them the necessary information, um, that you think are the most important. And then after the race, there is always a review of, of what's said on the radio between you and the driver, between you and the other engineers. And you try to, um, see what worked, what not and get better for for next time that that's a that's a continuous cycle of improvement mm -hmm. so ernie we also we hear a lot of you know plan a plus two and plan b and certain what we think are code words we you know that seems like there's a lot of bluffs on the radio too like oh we've heard about how hamilton will say his tires are dropping off and he'll stay out for another 12 laps pumping out fastest yeah. laps like, yeah. So, I mean, I guess, how much validity do you think there is to the gamesmanship of, of the radio? And, you know, do, do drivers and teams play those kind of those games with certain code words? I think last year Toto had said, tell Lewis, you can do this, Lewis, and that's it. Like, are there codes? Are there certain things? Like, I would expect so. But, you know, could you talk a little bit about without giving away the, the secrets, the, uh, the, the gamesmanship behind team radios? Yeah, tricky question. Yeah. Um, there, for sure, there are some games there. I'm not aware of any, uh, but for sure there are. Um, and, uh, you know, wh when you say plan A or plan B, you just don't want to say how many laps you want to stay out for. So your strategists have done plan A, plan B, plan C, working through Saturday night. Uh, and Sunday morning and, you know, presented you all the options. So, you know, exactly as a driver, what plan A is, what plan B is. Um, and, you know, if you have a safety car that is in that window or is like a late safety car or an early safety car, you got a puncher, you know, all the scenarios, something else like going back to the book as a driver, you need to know what are the possible scenarios so that you react, you know, properly. Mm. Um, and that's where like, you know, the team call, you know, plan A plus five, they mean that, you know, if plan A was like come in at lap 20, then you might come in around lap 25 or you can reassess around lap 25 to see if your base is still good, then it's plan A plus 10 now. No, do not come in. Um, and lots of time, you know, I think if you are in that position that you know the uh, overcut works better, for example, and you want to force your opponent to come in, 
uh, then you try to fake a pit stop. But that's, you know, we always, we, we have seen that many times in the years. It's not just now. It's, I think now you start to see it because you get more information through the radios and stuff. So you actually realize what they're doing. You know, see a lot of times like the mechanics go out and then they come in, they come back in. Um, so, uh, uh, and, and that's something that they used to do when the radios were not shared and, you would see the mechanics go out. Okay, send us, send our mechanics out as well. Be ready. If they come in, we do the same. And maybe when you start working with Latifi, maybe we get a uh, little code word to a nod to the in the points uh, podcast, boys. <laughs> oh well, never say never. We'll have, we'll have to talk about it offline, so no one knows what that code word is. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. uh, that's yeah. Now there definitely are like code words, even for calling the cars in and, and stuff. You, you don't usually like say box box just at the last minute, but maybe beforehand you've told you told him something else that he knows that he's coming in, you know, stuff like that. Awesome. And so Ernie, this was fantastic. The last question that I have for, for you, uh, we ask all of our guests this, give us your podium positions for the upcoming race weekend for MLL. Who do you have P1 through P3 for this weekend? Just as a, an observer, as a fan, as somebody who loves the sport, give us your bold predictions uh, for the weekend. Yeah, this is, this is almost impossible. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll say Williams, Williams, Ferrari. <laughs> Company answer. man right there. I love it. <laughs> awesome. Ernie, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for your time Thank today. You, you heard it here from uh, for the fans. Williams, Williams, Ferrari for your P1 through P3. <laughs> awesome interview. Thank you so much, Ernie. Go get his book. It's on Amazon. You can get it on the Kindle. You can get it anywhere. It is uh, Formula One Race Engineering. Uh, there will be a link to this podcast and in our Instagram bio. Please go check it out. Ernie, thank you so much. Thanks, Ernie. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much, Matt, Sam. It was amazing. Nice chat. Loved it. All right, Sam. What a great interview we had with Ernesto. Uh, what a legend being on the podcast. Can't wait to hear him on the mic in a couple of weeks. Um, it's going to be fantastic. I mean, what a great, great insights from him on, on maximizing driver performance. So really exciting. Um, as we mentioned, go pick up his book. It's a great read. I read it over the weekend. He has some really insightful stuff from his experience, both as a performance engineer in, in F1, but also an LMM P1 in the French racing. So, you know, we rec highly recommend the book to, to all of our listeners. Go out, pick it up. Our link in bio, you can kind of click on our Instagram and you can find it on Amazon. It's a quick read. It's a lot of fun. So go go check it out. Sam, we're, we're turning our attention to Imola, the Amelia Romana Grand Prix this weekend. We get to finally say it. Sprint race is back. We're super pumped. But Boom. before we dive in, crazy format this weekend. FP1, then the qualifying for the sprint then FP2, then the sprint race, then the race. So no FP3 in the basically one practice session before you jump into quality. Yeah, uh, bizarre, totally bizarre. But um, I'm a huge sprint guy. Love them. Um, yeah, it's, it, they're awesome. More on-track racing is a good thing. Um, I like how there's points involved. We don't lose qualifying either. So um, I just think it's a great way to bring more hype and anticipation and excitement to the week. Um, I think they're spot on and not wanting to do it too much too, yep. but um, you know, it should be special, but I, I think I would like to see more than three sprint races. I think more like six or seven would be kind of like the money spot. 
Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for a sprint weekend. Um, and excited, excited to see how things shake out. Yeah. So for those listeners new to the sport, so typical format for a weekend is three practices, usually two on Friday, one on Saturday. And then on Saturday, you go into a qualifying, which sets the grid. The format's usually Q1 where there's a knockout. So the bottom five get eliminated, the top 15 advance to Q2, then Q2, another bottom five are eliminated. So the top 10 advance to Q3. And then the top 10, it's a sprint. It's a shootout for to set the grid P1 through P10. Um, what last year the F1, the FI had started implementing in F1 is these sprint races. So instead of qualifying as just being an all-out shootout to set the grid, now there's a qualifying to set the grid for a sprint race and it's a modified 25% of the race and it's an actual race and you get points awarded. And this year, I think they're expanding the points to the top six people, maybe even a little bit more. Um, so it's top there's eight, points yeah. on top eight. And I think so P1 gets eight and then seven, six, five, all the way down to one. And it's awesome. It's super electric. If anyone watched last year at Brazil, uh, Hamilton started at the back of the grid and he made his way up to, I think, P10. And then from P10 in the race, he made up a bunch of positions all the way to, um, to end up winning the race. So it's kind of an awesome format because I feel like it gets these like midfield and back markers in the mix to make up some to make up some kind of places in an actual race format, but I, I yeah, it's just, it's like another, it. it's another chance for some teams to grab some points. So, yeah. you know, in, in a case like Red Bull this, this weekend, you know, a tough start to the season, they've, they've got an opportunity to, to, to grab a few more points and, and really close that gap. So it's just, it's just, uh, there, there's more at stake and, and who, who can say that that's not a great thing for uh, a race weekend. Yeah, totally. But so interesting though, because from what we are hearing in the, in the, from our insiders, Ferrari's not bringing any upgrades because, and I don't think a lot of teams are, for the mere fact that you only have one practice to kind of figure out what's working or not before you go into quality. So it sounds like Ferrari's bringing the same package from Australia, no big significant upgrades. Um, I also heard that they turned up the horsepower in Australia. So maybe they do that for, for the Amelia Romano Grand Prix. But I think some teams are bringing upgrades. So really interesting with one practice before you jump into quality, but I love it because we basically stand for three straight days. We get to see qualifying, then we get to see the sprint, then we get to see the race. So we're seeing like live action three straight days, but Ferrari, same package, could be vulnerable to maybe a, a Red Bull upgrade. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Ferrari is kind of saving, saving their, their big packages for a little later down the road, but it sounds like Red Bull is bringing a major package. Um, Horner seemed to downplay that a little bit and said it was something scheduled and, and, you know, don't get ahead of ourselves, but I think they know how important this weekend is for them, um, for their chances to get back into the constructors for Max's chance, um, chances of getting back into the drivers, uh, Max cannot afford anything other than one or two this weekend yep. without literally needing to hit the panic button and um, and maybe his chances just being gone altogether. So um, it's a huge weekend for Red Bull. So I'm not surprised to see they're bringing um, a package uh, this weekend. And, and I think we, we, we see, um, you know, a much more reliable and fast Red Bull car this weekend. Yeah, and I'm, we're also hearing, too, that Mercedes is bringing massive packages this weekend, too. I mean, you had mentioned the other day there's a one-second difference between simulator and on track, which is driving a lot of this, but they're supposedly bringing an enormous package. 
Now it'll be interesting because yeah. they're only going to have all these teams are going to have only one practice to set this and figure it out. But man, if we saw like a Hamilton Verstappen Leclerc battle at Imola, I mean, last year we saw an unbelievable battle on turn one or on the opening lap with Max and Lewis. It was wet. We're thinking it might be wet again this weekend. There's some people saying forecasts of rain. Some are saying, no, it's going to hold up, but it's going to be insane. Not a great memory for George Russell last year. Got into a little bit of a tussle and absolutely smacked heads with, with Valtteri Bottas, but I love this track. I'm pumped. Yeah, yeah, great track. And yeah, Mercedes is definitely a team I'm I'm looking to watch this weekend. And you know, through through testing in the first two races, their performance obviously was crap. Um, and it was more wishful thinking that they'd actually um, you know, close that gap um through those first two races. But now there's actual more tangible evidence, I think, and it's and it's really starting to feel like Mercedes is on the cusp of unlocking um, a whole new level. And um, I think they're going to continue closing that gap um, to Red Bull and Ferrari. They may not be able to fully catch them, um, but I think that we're, we're seeing a trend that they are um, starting to close that gap and get a little closer to those two, to uh, those two teams. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see. And like you said, their, their data and their simulators showing that they're one second faster than what's uh, on the actual racetrack. So they can just find a couple tweaks and figure out what the difference is. Um, you know, they've got a lot to unlock. So I'm definitely looking uh, to see how they perform this weekend. Yeah. And also our, one of our favorite teams, Alpine bringing monster upgrades from the aero department um, from what we've been seeing too. So it's funny because I'm the more and more you see it, you see more of these top teams like Mercedes, Red Bull, Alpine, McLaren, they're all bringing packages and they're rolling the dice a little bit here. And it makes you wonder whether or not Ferrari might be resting on their laurels a little bit. They've got a great car. I don't blame them for not wanting to try something new with only one practice session, but you know, they're the ones that everyone's chasing. So to be the only one on the field on the grid, not bringing upgrades and to have your main competitors and people that are a little bit in the middle of the field this year, but in closer cars, all bringing upgrades you got to wonder if they're a little bit nervous, if Ferrari is a little nervous going to Imola. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have a fast car, but when everyone around you is bringing some type of upgrade and it, and it pans out, you know, it could not work out. But I, if I'm Mattia Bonato, I'm a little bit, I'm not telling anybody, but I'm a little bit concerned and nervous that we're not bringing upgrades that we should be bringing right now. Yeah, it's, it's a litmus test for how far in front they truly are to these other teams. Because like you said, we're going to see a few different cars this weekend. Um, and if that gap shrinks or even maybe some roles are reversed and Red Bull passes them, um, then it's game on. So uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. Definitely a litmus test to see where Ferrari really is and how far ahead of, uh, ahead of um, Red Bull and Mercedes they really are. Yeah. Um, big weekend for them. Big weekend for us. You've got, you've got your gambling picks. Now what, what we're doing as a podcast for our, our followers, we're going to give our best p- predictions for the race weekend. We're going to give our best poll P1 through P3, and we're going to do some, some picks gambling wise, but because most of the matchup bets 
the lines don't get released until what, Sam? Is it after practice, after quality? When do they usually release the matchup lines? Yeah, our, so there are some pre-race matchup lines, but the most accurate, you know, by the time this podcast comes out, the most accurate accurate lines are going to be released after um in this in this week's case the sprint race so um like you said give us a follow on twitter um we'll be posting our matchup picks um sometime after the sprint before the race we want to give you the you know most bettable and accurate lines possible we don't want to give you some um bogus lines on this in terms of matchup bets so follow us on twitter to get those um more accurate bettable lines as we get closer to race day yeah for this segment, we will give our, our predictions and our, our gut reactions to the lines today. But as Sam said, you know, for our official weekend race picks, tune into Twitter. We'll post them on all so- social platforms. Um, but we will give our, our kind of preliminary takes today um, for what we've got. So, Sam, you had a monster weekend. We've talked about it earlier in the podcast. Six and two on live lines, six and three on, on overall bets. You've advanced, I think, now to it's like eight and three, nine and three on the year. And like Bahrain, you only picked like like one or two guys. So like matchups, you've been all over. I think you're close to like seven and one in, in year-to-date matchups. You've been a scorching hot this entire season. What do you got from what you're seeing today? What do you like preliminary? And then can't wait to see the picks revealed at the end of the week. Yeah, so – I've got some good ones and we're going to be using Bavada's lines this week. And just a reminder to sponsors out there, we'll be happy to use your lines every week. If you want to sponsor us, I'm talking to you, DraftKings, FanDuel, PointsBet, get in contact with us. We'll use your lines. We're using Bavada uh, this week. And so in terms of a race winner, um, I, like you said, I, I reserve the right to amend this pick because it's so early in the week, but this is the toughest winner for me to pick all all year so far um between the impending rain um the sprint weekend max and red bull having their backs up against the wall um i've really gone back and forth with this but in the end i think with this red bull package i think with max needing a win and knowing it i think he comes out hot this weekend gets the win i'm gonna pick max verstappen to win this race at plus 175 next pick here yep next pick here um you know we, we also talked earlier about how rough of a weekend it was for Carlos Sainz last weekend, just brutal start to finish. Um, we also, we didn't touch upon it, but the impending uh, contract discussions between Carlos Sainz and Ferrari is, is certainly heating up and they're a little bit of a, um, a deadlock stalemate with Sainz wanting a, an extra year um, and Ferrari not really budgeting. I think Carlos Sainz uses all of this to his, his benefit and it motivates him. And I'm looking for Carlos signs to have a podium finish this weekend at minus one ten. Wow. Yes. Wow. And it's funny. Cause I was going to bring up the contract. It's funny. Cause I, uh, that you're thinking he's going to use it as a, a, a fire under him. I'm curious if he, if it's like too much of a head case for him and he's kind of gotten a little bit of a rocky start to the year, but interesting. I, that's a that's a bold pick. Signs to podium minus one ten. I like it. Yep, I, I think Signs has it has a good week, and, and I look for him to be on the podium at the end of it. Um, my next pick is Pierre Gasly, top ten finish minus one fifty. Um, Gasly's had a, a besides the DNF at Bahrain, he's had a, a fairly solid start to the year, being in the points the last two races. Um, 
I think he had a, he had a good finish here or last year. Um, I think uh, Gasly will be in the points again this week. And I look for uh, I, that line is somewhere right now around minus 150. I think there's some pretty good value there. Um, my next bet is the fastest lap of the race goes to a Ferrari car at minus 125. Um, I think it's fairly obvious at this point that Ferrari has the fastest car. Um, that's kind of a no brainer. Um, I'm not going to overthink this one. I think regardless of if Max or Charles wins this weekend, I think we see Ferrari with the fastest lap. So I'm going to bet them to have the fastest lap at minus 125. Um, here's another fun one I like, and we talked about the screwy schedule to, to this weekend. Um, I like Max Verstappen to have the fastest FP1 time at plus 185. Um, so with you know, Red Bull's package coming this week and it being a short week. Um, we talked about it with, you know, only one practice time before the sprint. I think we look for Red Bull to come out hot and really test their car in that FP one. Um, and if this upgrade in this package is as major as some of these reports are, um, are talking about, I think we see Red Bull super fast in FP one. Um, and, uh, obviously if, if that's the case, Max is going to be, um, at the top towards the top. So I think there's a lot of value in Verstappen to have the fastest FP one time at plus one eighty five. Um, and then the last thing I'm going to say, it's just another reminder. You can still get Ferrari to win the constructors at minus one fifty. Um, there might not be a better value bet on the planet right now than Ferrari to win the constructors at minus one fifty. I'll keep saying it, you know, you're not as sharp as me. You didn't get it at plus five hundred like I did five months ago, but um, you know, you can still get them pretty close to, to even money. I think it's a no-brainer. Do yourself a favor, go bet Ferrari to win the constructors at minus one fifty. Um it's just great value. They're they're clearly the best team right now. Um, probably in a couple of weeks, they're going to be minus 300 and they're going to be unbattable. So get them while you can. Ferrari doing the constructors at minus 150. Wow. So you got Verstappen to win plus 175, signs to podium minus 110, Pierre Gasly top 10 minus 150, Ferrari with the fastest lap minus 125, and Verstappen with the fastest FP1 time at plus 185. That's those yep. are some mega. You went outside the box this week, Sam. I mean that. Yep. There's some fun bets in there. Yeah, I'm I'm a fun guy. I love betting fun lines. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll get down to the to the brass tacks, nitty gritty race matchups as we get closer to race day. But if you're looking for some fun things to bet on as we as we head into the weekend, um, those are some good ones. Um, you know, hop on the the bandwagon while you can. I'm super hot. Let's make some money. Love it. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at some of the 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 bet MGM once again. Shout out Sam. If we uh if DraftKings fan do any of these big names would like us to use their lines, we will certainly use them. I'm looking at a couple matchups head-to-head preliminary lines right now. There are some just absolutely unbettable lines. Pierre Gasly over Yuki Sonoda minus 400. Alex Albon over Latifi minus 650. Um, Verstappen over Checo minus 300. Leclerc over Signs minus 225. I mean, there are some of these lines that are almost like unbettable to bet because the juice is just too much. There's two, though, that I like right now that I'm seeing. And like you said, we'll reveal all of our matchups um, this, this weekend after. Which one is it again, Sam? Is it after the sprint or is it after quality? After the sprint. Okay. 
um, the sprint race. We'll, we'll reveal those, but I, there's a, there's a great cross team matchup. Checo plus 110 against signs minus 155. I actually like that one a lot. Um, Checo has been on peak form this entire year. I think he's gearing up for like a P2. We could be seeing a Red Bull P1, P2 finish this weekend if everything goes according to their plan. I also still love George Russell plus 130 over Lewis Hamilton minus 185. I think Russell, he, I don't think he's playing the bat. We said this early in the year. I said it to you. I don't think he's going to be playing second field to Lewis. I think he's going to try and make a name for himself and compete. I think I like that bet a little bit too. Um, and then I'm sure, you know, th- those are the two that stick out to me right now. Everything else is unbettable. Um, I mean, you got Valtteri Bottas ahead of his teammate, Joe Ganyu, for minus 1,200. There are some of these lines right now that are unbettable. Yeah, and, and there's just so much stuff that can happen so in a race week. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my, my betting advice to you, uh, our listeners, is, is don't bet these matchups pre-week. No. Um, it's, it's almost not worth it. Um, so stay away, see how the, the practices go, see how qualifying goes this week, see how the sprint goes. Um, and then, you know, make your, make your bets, um, you know, after that, cause you'll get way better feel for how the race is going to shake out then, than you will on, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, no, I love that. Great, great bets. Um, Sam, now we go on to our, our final segment. What's your uh, poll P1 through P3 for the weekend? So as I, you know, just uh, unveiled a few minutes ago, I do think Max Verstappen gets it done this weekend and, and does win. So I have him winning. I have Charles Leclerc in, at uh, second and Carlos Sainz, um, you know, wrapping up the podium at third. So Verstappen, Leclerc, Sainz, one, two, three podium. Wow. Verstappen, Claire, Sainz. I'm going to go a little bit bold. I like it. With you. Here's my prediction for the weekend. I think you've got this is going to be a, this is this is going to be a hold your breath because I can't believe what I'm about to say. I think you're going to get Leclerc on pole. I think you're going to get Max P1. I think you're going to get Hamilton P2, and I think you're going to get Checo P3. And wow. I think and this is a bold move by me, and I am not rooting for this by any means, but I think I got to go out on a limb here. We've been going Max and Charles being P1, P2, back and forth all season long. I think it's time I get a little bit bold. I think you're going to see something with an issue with the Ferrari and Charles Leclerc. You know, it's it's funny you say that. They're still probably the only team so far who hasn't had some sort of car reliability issues. So, um, I think you're you're thinking correctly. I mean, I it's got to happen at some point. Why not this weekend? So, um, very bold. I like it. Very bold. And I want to be very clear to our listeners. I am not rooting for a, a Ferrari reliability issue, even though I am a big Red Bull fan. I, I think that. The, the way to win is on track and to kind of take others' misfortunes. Yes, you take it and capitalize on it, but I don't like it. Um, I'm not rooting for that, but I, I think you're going to see Charles set a really good qualifying. I think he's going to be on peak form in the sprint, but I, I think there's going to be something that happens. And 
And I know, Sam, you're all over signs. You're the hot hand. So, like, if I was going to follow anyone, I'd follow you. I think signs is a head case right now. I think with what happened to him in Jeddah and with what happened to him in Australia and the contract stuff looming over, I think he is going to have a lot of self-doubt going into this weekend. He'll, he'll probably finish in the points. I don't think that there's going to be anything terrible that's going to happen, but I don't see him. I, I honestly think he's probably going to be, like, high up on the grid and qualifying, but I think the sprint race, he's going to get overtaken. I think he's going to just be a little bit susceptible to somebody like a Hamilton who might get off the line really good. Um, a Checo, I think just in race form, you know, he's good in quality. I think there's going to be something there. I just see, I see something happening and I don't want it to, but I just see something weird happening this weekend with Ferrari, like maybe even just like a collision with somebody. I just see that like, this is a track where we've seen a lot of accidents. We've just seen, you know, stuff happen. And you're right. Ferrari has had no reliability. I mean, Sainz had a couple of scares, I think, at Jeddah. They almost didn't have him go out. And then he had the new steering wheel, and they're not bringing upgrades. So, I don't know. I, I think something could be up there. And that's my bold prediction. So, I got – I actually, though, have Charles on pole, but then I have Max P1, Hamilton P2, and Checo P3. But, Sam, let me ask you this. Your pole – is that quality pole or is that sprint race pole? Like who wins the sprint race? I so haha, good question. Yeah. I didn't give I didn't give my pole winner. Um, I, I don't hate your pick of Charles as quality pole winner. Um, I'll 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 go with that as well. I think Max wins the sprint as well as the Got race. It. So I think he goes two and zero oh in both of those. Um, I think we see an aggressive um, pumped up Max Verstappen this weekend, and he's going to use that sprint race to his advantage, um, maybe exert his uh, aggressiveness on Charles early in the weekend, um, and I think he wins both. Got it. So you're saying uh, Charles on pole for the sprint race, but then Max as the sprint race winner. This is a this is a new one for us because I actually like it. I think we should be picking the sprint winner. Yep. So you're saying Verstappen sprint winner, Charles pole. Um, I'm going to agree with you on. I actually think Charles wins the sprint race. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, for those keeping track at home, we are doing a season long. We give points out based off of where our guys finish. So for these predictions, we give one point for pole, 25 points for P1, 18 P2, 15 for P3. So far on the season right now, Sam, um, we're going off of just total points. Uh, it looks as though, you know, and we'll have to double check these, but it looks like right now I've got 84 points on the season. You're at 52 um, seems like a pretty crazy huh. disconnect between 32 points, but what I've got, and, and we can, you know, I've got you having Leclerc, Verstappen. I mean, it's the Verstappen Hamilton last week that I think really kind of knocked you out. Cause I, I think I got Russell in the mix there. Um, and then there was a couple races where I think you had Leclerc first and I had Max and it was just like, a, I think I, you know, we, we've got it, but I mean, anything can happen, right? Like you got, I can go over three and we're right back in the mix here, but you know, I'll just, long. I'll just, I'll just have to take your word on that math. Um, you're a stand-up guy, so I trust you. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's just it's just a testament to both of us for how good we are at picking this stuff. Well, Sam, unbelievable. Um, the only thing that I've got, one more question on the gambling. Any lines or anything, any hints that you think there's any sprint race bets? Um, did you see any of those last year? Do you think we're going to get any of those this year where, where there's like any, like who's going to win the sprint race? Any inklings? Are we going to be able to sprinkle any of that action? Absolutely. There, there are already plenty of lines out there. 
um, at pretty much every single major sports book. Wow. So, um, yeah, keep your eyes out if you're, if you're looking about the sprint. Um, I, you know, I don't have a great feel for the, for the sprint, um, right now. So nothing really stuck out to me. Um, I'm obviously going to bet it, uh, of course, uh, yeah. but I will probably wait until, um, you know, FP one and, and quality happen. So like we said earlier, follow our, our Twitter account. Um, you'll get all the up-to-date lines that we're betting on, um, as they come in, um, give us, give us a follow. Um, we're great on Twitter. Awesome. Hopefully you have another scorching weekend. I love those five picks. Um, yeah, more to be more to come this weekend. Imola, we're excited for it. I hope we see some, some awesome racing. Hopefully we can see more battles between all different types of, of cars. Maybe we'll even see like an Acon. I mean, Norris was on the podium last year. Uh, maybe we'll see Alpine on the top step. Maybe we'll see McLaren return to the top step. Maybe we'll see Haas back on the top step, you know, but Anyway, Sam, I can't wait. Tune in this weekend. Um, yeah, more to come. I'm pumped. This is going to be a great weekend. That's a wrap for us on this week's episode of In the Points. A huge special thanks to Ernie Desiderio for his time today and what an amazing interview. We turn our attention to the Amelia Romana Grand Prix this weekend, Sunday. Tune in. It's going to be absolutely electric. Will it rain? What will the first sprint race come with? And make sure you subscribe, like, smash all those buttons for us. And tune in Saturday afternoon to at in underscore the underscore points on Twitter for our race matchup bets. Thanks so much for listening, and as always, keep pushing.